nice introduction. Um, I think is my mic. Yeah, my mic's on. Um, one thing Nasi didn't mention was my nationality. Because I have been coming to Cape Town for, for years, actually. I'm actually a five-time uh, Argus writer. Um, you can guess my accent now, right? You can't guess my accent. No, Joburg. Oh, no, it's very funny. It's very funny because I'm actually Australian. I'm Australian, but actually I live in Europe because I'm married to a, a Flemish-speaking uh, Belgian, a Dutch-speaking Belgian woman, and I come to South Africa often. So you know what happens to an Australian guy who's married to a Dutch-speaking woman and travels regularly to South Africa? You start to sound Afrikaans. <laughs> Which is not good where I come from. No, no, nothing like that. Okay. Very good. Um, what are we going to be talking about today? Actually, well, you, you're, you're in the business of measuring and managing uncertainty, right? I mean, you're in the business um, of, of thinking. Um, and it's a special kind of thinking because it's, it's quite broad in a way. Right? Because what you need to be able to do as actuaries is have real analytical skills. Right? You really need to be able to, to understand you know, the, the, the formulas and methodologies and approaches for, for assessing risk. But what you also need, of course, is business knowledge. Because it's not just about the numbers and, and, and the formulas. It's also about really understanding the fundamentals of, of strategy and, and, and what actually makes a business function. Now, of course, there, that then becomes even more complex because beyond the analytical skills and the business skills, what you also need is an understanding of human behavior. Right? So this is quite unique in terms of the, the skills and capabilities required. So what we're going to actually be talking about for the next 45 minutes is not kind of very high-level theoretical concepts. Um, what we're actually going to be talking about is, is you as individuals and the way that you Think. And what I'm going to suggest to you, actually, is that we need a new way of thinking. A new way of thinking. Uh, what I'm also going to tell you, what I'm going to promise you, is that the next 45 minutes or so are probably going to be the best 45 minutes of your life. <laughs> are, are there any German people in the room? Oh, you see, because I, I often work in Germany as well, and at this point I have to explain that what I just said is an example of what is called humoristic exaggeration. <laughs> All right, I think you get it. All right. So here's what I want to ask you to do. Actually, in front of you, um, on, your, on, your on your desk there, um, is a piece of paper. And your piece of paper has circles on it. So what I would like everybody to now start doing, please, is filling up all of those circles. So take your pen, and your time starts now, and I want you to fill up every single one of those circles to the best of your ability. Let's go. Let's go. Please start. And please, once you've finished, raise your hand. Let's go. Come on, man. You've got to start filling up. You've done them. No, no, you have to fill. Like, I don't want anybody saying this is like a polar bear in the snow. I want you to actually do something in each one of those circles. Finish, hands up. Keep your hands up if you're finished. Look, we've got about a third of the people in the room who are done. Once you're done, look around at what the other people are doing. Come on, man, let's go, Martin, start. And I want to see something in the circles. I don't want you to do this as a mental exercise. I want you to actually do it. Uh, you're done? Good, now, good, good. Keep, keep your hands up when you're finished. See? Half the room is now done. Wow, look at that one. Okay, very good. Now have a look around at what the other people are doing. 
Have a look around. Keep your hands up if you're finished. Keep your hands up if you're finished. People are working intently now. Good. Sean's done. Martin, you still haven't started, man. No, no, no. I want you to draw something. Gosh. All right. Look. Okay. We can. We can. No. 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 Every. Put your hands down. Put your hands up if you're still drawing. No, 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 sorry, sorry. Not shading, not shading every single circle, but actually drawing something different in each circle. Raise your hand. Right, now have a look at these people. Keep your hands up if you're drawing something different in each circle. Yes, because these people are a bit special. <laughs> I'll come back to them in a second. So what do I actually just do? All right, now let's, let's be clear about this. What did I not tell you about this exercise? What, what did I not tell you? How? I did not tell you how to do this exercise. So what this exercise is, is an exercise is in uncertainty, right? And as actuaries, that's what you're supposed to be able to do, right? You're supposed to be able to deal with uncertainty or bring approaches to uncertainty. But interestingly enough, if you think about this, how many possible ways could you fill out those circles? Almost infinite. There are a spectrum of possibilities here. So immediately what this exercise does is it actually tests your cognitive preferences when faced with a complex, ambiguous, and uncertain task. And there is a spectrum of cognition. Right? At one end of the spectrum of cognition is what we call divergent thinking, which is what you're trying to do is narrow quick, very quickly to a single approach. All right? So what we're talking this, sorry, this is converging. You're converging. It's called linear thinking. You're converging towards a single approach. That is not creative thinking, right? because you're going as quickly as possible towards simplicity. Now, at the other end of the spectrum, so that's what we call convergent or linear thinking. At the other end of the spectrum is divergent thinking. And what divergent thinking uh, is all about is imagination. It's really stepping back and pondering possibilities and then acting by testing those multiple possibilities. Right? So if you, in this exercise, went X, 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 or A, B, C, D, E, F, G, or 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, or you just shaded every single circle, what, what end of the spectrum is that? That's convergent. That's very linear. And in fact, what you essentially did was act like a robot. You act like an automated machine, and you did not think at all. You basically brain off. <laughs> it's not the way you deal with complexity. Okay? Now. At the other end of the spectrum, as I said, is divergent. It's imagination. So the interesting thing about this is it's very much related to age. So if you give this exercise to a child, which I have done, you see very different outcomes. Right? Now, this is the exercise that I gave to my daughter, Hannah. Exact same briefing as I gave you three years ago when I discovered it. Okay? She was 10 years old. What do you see with Hannah's pictures? See creativity. You see divergent thinking. You see imagination. Now, not only that, most of you did this exercise, and some of you, and I don't want to pick on you, Martin, but I will, all right? You just did this exercise in your head. You said, I've got a solution. I'm not even going to bother writing it down because I know what the answer is. You didn't draw anything. But you see, when Hannah starts to draw, what does the act of drawing trigger? It triggers more imagination. Right? So she thinks about possibilities. So, okay, you know, we were, we were actually on a holiday when I gave her this exercise, and her brothers have been playing football on the beach, but she looks around her, what does she see? Her mum's wearing sunglasses, so she joins a couple of them together. 
her dad's back from a bike ride, so there's a bicycle down the bottom right. So the amazing thing about this is if you, you give these barrage of exercises to people at different ages, you start to see something very surprising. And now the foundation research on this was done by a guy called George Land, who was the chief psychologist for NASA back in the 1960s and 70s. And when NASA was developing the space program, you know, to try to get human beings to the moon and back, they needed the most creative minds on the planet because they were trying to do the impossible. So they developed this whole series of tests, which I'm going to give you today. Now, George Land then got curious because he was very disappointed with what he discovered when he gave these exercises to adults. So what he then did was he went around initially the US and he tested 1,600 preschool children. Now, that startled him. So then what he did was he said, well, what about if we give these exercises to 13-year-olds? What about if we give these exercises to 18-year-olds? And this is what they discovered. We are all born creative thinkers. Right? Please raise your hand in this room if you skipped childhood. <laughs> Anyone was kind of like popped out of some embryonic, you know, actuary at the age of 32? <laughs> no. We were all kids once. So therefore, what does that tell us? We were all creative ones. Right? Pablo Picasso once said that the problem in becoming an artist is not to become an artist at all. It's to remain an artist as you grow. Right? And actually, his parents kept him out of formal education for his whole life. He was homeschooled. We'll come back to that later. Right? So what you actually start to see is something very startling. And, and the results in this room demonstrated. At the end of this exercise, when I said, raise your hand if you're still drawing, what did we see? A handful of people were actually doing this in a, in a creative way. Right? Don't be depressed, man. I mean, people look at me like really depressed. No, no, don't be depressed. Because here's what the, the research also says. George Land's finding was this. Creativity, or the ability for agile thinking, is not learned, it's unlearned. Therefore, what is completely possible is to reactivate your ability for creative thinking. And that's what we're going to do in the next 30 minutes. Are you excited now? Can you please show a little bit of enthusiasm? If you want to say woohoo, woohoo. Was that a lot of the woos? No, I'm going to get very animated. I'm going to get very excited. It's like, did you actually warn people not to sit in the front row? Because I'm going to get so excited, stuff's going to start flying out. And that's probably why no one's sitting. May I, you want to move? You're, you're okay. You're, you're good. Okay. All right. So here's the first thing, okay? Um, there's something we need to do. And what we need to do is think about the way we're thinking. Now, remember what I said? You didn't think. Now, finish this sequence for me. A, B. Some of you had to think about that for a second. All right, finish this sequence. One, two, three multiplied by three. This is all, this is all what we call system one thinking. That's the linear thinking. Right? System two is different. Eh? System two is what? It, when you need to combine the ability for analytical, business, and human. That's system two because that's complexity. That's what you need to be able to do. But what, they, what you'll therefore need to be able to do is to be inspired to think, to think about the way you're thinking. Right, so here, let's go. Are you ready for your next exercise? Yes. You ready? Yes. So please take a blank sheet of paper and your pen. Blank sheet of paper and your pen. Get ready. And what I'm going to ask you to do in a moment is I'm going to ask you to draw a cake. So I'm going to ask you to draw cakes. And your objective in drawing those cakes will be 
to come up with the maximum number of pieces of cake within a 30 second time limit, but there are some rules. Please don't start yet. You're going to draw your cake and then you're going to cut the cake four times, right? You'll draw your cakes and then you'll cut your cakes four times. And the objective is to come up with the maximum number of pieces of cake within 30 seconds, not as a mental exercise, but actually by drawing cakes. Within are you ready? Your time starts now. Go. Draw your cake, cut it four times, objective, maximize number of pieces within the 30 second time limit. Please raise your hand when you believe you are finished. Right, 15 seconds to go. Raise your hand when you think you're finished, please. Right, about a third of the people are finished. Hands up when you're, you believe you're finished. Come on, time is ticking. Okay, 10 seconds to go. Please raise your hand when you believe you're finished. Good. Five seconds to go. Okay, please stop. Please stop. Good. Now again, have a look around at what people have done. In your rows and behind you, have a look behind you. Now, please raise your hands. Welcome, come on in. Take the front row if you're brave. Yeah, good. Right. Um, please raise your hand if you did a cake that looks like this one. Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you did the cake like this. High up. At least one of your cake. Pathetic. <laughs> Man, what have we just been talking about? Think. That's terrible. This is the most suboptimal cake ever created by humanity. That's really funny, because I was looking up like I was reading up on the actuarial world and refreshing myself, you know. And it really, this is what most things that I read said, actuaries are really smart people. <laughs> Seriously, you have to sit all these exams and like 60% of people fail the exams. All the, it's like, you're supposed to be really smart, what happened to you, man? Are you faking it? No, oh, come on, what about this one? Who, who, what they, who did one like this? Yeah, yeah, a few of those as well. Equally bad. What about this one? Oh, 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 sorry, I hit the beat. See that one? Offset cuts. What about the fourth one? Who did a three-dimensional cake? Knock yourselves out, people! <laughs> like cakes are 3D! The rest of you did some sort of little chapatis or something. That's really amazing. Now, don't feel bad, like, because what is my reason? I've given this exercise at keynote speeches, like, to thousands of people, and for the first I've been using this exercise now for two and a half years. For the first six months I was doing the exercise, I would collect up the cakes. And I got my research assistant to analyze the data. Why do I show you these four? Because these four represent 85% of the results that are delivered to me, were, were delivered to me over that six month period. About 4,000 cakes that I collected. That's 85%. And by the way, that mirrors George Land's research. So don't feel bad, this is kind of normal. This is the 2%, right? But here's the thing, why? I've already primed you earlier to think. I've already said, don't act like a robot. Don't engage in system one, you know, automated one, two, three, ABC behavior. I already primed you to think. But the moment I gave you the next exercise, most of us, again, our brains switched off. Okay, so here's the first question. What assumptions did we make about this exercise? What assumptions? 
Have a look at these cakes. What, what do they have in common? What are the assumptions? The cake is round. Now, we all know that cakes can come in all different shapes and sizes. Anyone who's got a six-year-old child will know that they don't want a round cake for their birthday party. They want a caterpillar. They want a little castle. You know, has anyone been married? Yeah, you got the beautiful layer cakes. You know, little people on top. You know, that sort of stuff. Right? So we, we, cakes come in all different. You assumed it's round. Okay, what other assumptions were made here? About, about look at the cake. What's the assumption at the top left? Equal size pieces. What other assumptions? Straight lines. Discrete cuts that end within the circle. That's an assumption. Uh, equal size pieces, straight lines, discrete. You're not only making assumptions, by the way, about the cake, you're also making assumptions about the device that you were using. What was the assumption you made about the device? It's a knife. And how many blades does that knife have? One. In fact, what you were limited by was this. Right. Now, I said, what I did purposely was I said, draw your cake. I'll come back to that moment. But I said, create your cakes. I said, make your cakes. I didn't just say draw. I gave you actually, I explicitly gave you four different approaches. Create, make, imagine. But many of you didn't hear those other ones. Huh? You heard draw only. And then you switched off. Right? Limited to a single blade. But a knife can have multiple blades. A knife can be a laser, by the way. Right? So you made assumptions about the cake and the knife. And, oh, sorry, look, don't, don't think I'm being arrogant, all right? When I was given this exercise by a psychologist, I did the top right cake. And I was really pleased with myself. <laughs> <laughs> I never forget. This lady, Catherine, she gave me the exercise. I did it. I gave it back to her. She looked at me. Do you know what she said? Loser. <laughs> You're a professor? I said, yeah. Bad, yeah? So it's, it, don't feel bad. Okay, so assumptions about the cake, assumptions about the knife, but also you, there were assumptions about the process. It was very interesting to observe you, all of you. You've sat exams, haven't you? When I said go, what did you all do? You immediately... They did, yeah? And at one point, I'm not going to mention names, but I saw somebody over here look at somebody else, <laughs> and the person next to him went like this. <laughs> like a competition. I did not say this was an individual exercise. At no point did I say, do this alone. No one in this room collaborated. Nobody turned to the person next to them and say, what do you think about this? How might we approach this? Right? Now, the other interesting thing is I did see, nicely, I saw a handful of people that drew more than one cake. Handful. But most of us did one. It was very interesting behavior. There was a flow guy we asked this person. He finished the cake like this, and then he went back to his computer. Exercise done, I've got time to do something else. Yeah? Too much of a hurry, right? No reflection, contemplation, nothing like that. Right? Okay, clear? We made all these assumptions, and because of those assumptions, we absolutely did not make the most of our cognitive potential. We wasted it. Here's what I would now like all of you to talk about. What has life done to you to mess you up? <laughs> That's the question, all right? Okay. No, no, no not, not in general. Not in general. But with regard to this exercise, where did all of those assumptions come? So I'd like everyone to stand up. Turn to the people behind you, except for the people in the back row. No. But turn to the people around you. I'm going to give you five minutes of discussion. Where did these assumptions come from? Let's go.
Grab your seats. All right. So, so who would like who would like to share what they talked about? So, so what happened? Because you're smart people. You're smart people. Now, by the way, that's what George Lindane's research said as well. Eh? It's not about intelligence. There's not necessarily a cor correlation between intelligence and the ability for creative or agile thinking. What happened? Well, now that's a very important point, because you're saying we're forced into a certain direction from an early age, and you mentioned school, right? Exactly. What are we, what, what are the first things, what, what's the first stuff we learn at school? Times tables. Rule-based. Eh? Um, now, if you haven't seen it already, please, I'm not going to go into the elaboration of the whole industrial age education system, but that's what it is. The modern education system that we have was designed for a linear industrial age, where we focused on operational inefficiency and incremental innovation. Right? Linear. So there's a hierarchy of subjects. Maths at the top. That's there. Yeah, yeah, the smart one. Yeah, maths at the top. Okay. Uh, <laughs> nothing wrong with that. Okay. No, but I mean, honestly, so, so if you haven't seen it yet, please watch the TED Talk by Sir Ken Robinson. Sir Ken Robinson's TED Talk is called Do Schools Kill Creativity? And the overwhelming answer, yes. Because school has a bias for linear-based thinking. That's what we learn, right? So education is one of the biggest killers. Now, I'm not saying that math, that we don't need math, we don't need physics, we don't need languages, rule-based subjects. But the research is very clear that what we now need much more of in our education system is creativity. Scandinavia, you go there, they're, they're reforming the education systems in Scandinavia to bring back agile thinking, bring back creative thinking. Um, I've given a few TED Talks, but one of my TED Talks, which builds actually on Ken Robinson's talk, because what Ken talks about is educational reform. That's nice, but it takes time. 
Uh, I gave a TED Talk in Athens a couple of years ago, and my TED Talk is called A New Mindset, Creative Parenting. How do you as a parent help your children to retain their creativity? Because it's not going to happen at school. Okay? So education is a big killer. Right? Did you have a... Absolutely. So for some people, creativity is Absolutely. What Albert Einstein said, the best scientists are at heart artists. Yeah? And what, what, what Pablo Picasso said, he said, artists are scientists because we're pushing the boundaries of materials and technologies all of the time. Right? So that's super important. Okay, so education is there. Come on, what else happened to you? Come on, what, why do we do this one? You know, and especially when I go to Scandinavia, when I go to work with the Swedish people, they always do a cake like that. Why do Swedish people always do a cake like that? It's there. They're socialists. Because <laughs> right? everybody should get the same size piece. I call this one, I call this one the Donald Trump cake. Because <laughs> I have a different mindset there. Right? So what's that about? What's that about? Because it's not just about school. It's, what else is it about? Yes, when you're a kid, you're taught that there's certain ways to cut a cake. I've got three children. If I had a birthday party and cut a cake top right, there will be a riot. Right? So we learn throughout our lives there are certain ways of doing things. Right? As an actuary, have you ever been in a meeting where you raise your hand and say, why do we do it this way? Usually as a young, just new in the organization, right? What, what answer do people give you? We've always done it this way. It's going to take you a while to learn, eh? And in the meantime, <laughs> all right, yeah, yeah, that's experience. We've done it this way in the past. It's always worked. Now, by the way, experience is wonderful in a linear world, in an incremental world. But when we start talking about artificial intelligence, big data, mobility, it's no longer linear. Right? Now, by the way, you, you, I work a lot in, 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 in entrepreneurial startup companies digital companies, okay? I'm on, the, I'm on the innovation advisory board of, of different companies, okay? And, and these companies are not excited by going from eight to nine. What are they excited about? How do you get to 8,000 from eight? Because these new technologies enable exponential. So experience, if, we, if we're happy with incremental, we leave so much on the table. We leave our imagination on the table. So education, come on, what, what else happened to you? I'm surprised no one said it yet. Yes? Yes! Fantastic, huh? I want to be smarter than the next person. I want to do a better job. Huh? So it's that, that triumph of the individual intellect. Come on, this, I'm surprised no one said it. Why else did you do a circle with nice straight cuts like that? Why did you do that? Exams, yeah, yeah. But we come back to the education. Come on, you still don't see it. Why did you cut a cake like that? Time pressure. Yeah. All right, now come on, we're getting it. Time pressure. Time pressure is one of the biggest killers of creativity. If you want to kill people's creativity, say, bring me, a, bring me an outcome within three minutes, within three hours. You'll kill their creativity because pressure, pressure, pressure. Right? What happens? Your frontal cortex, the stress, kicks into play and you default to experience because you don't want to take a risk, you don't want to make a mistake because you're under pressure. 
Right? Now, this is very interesting. All right, we'll come back to this. Because what instead, if I'd said, I would like you now to take 30 seconds to create as many different cakes as possible, using as many different approaches collectively as you can. What do you think would happen within 30 seconds? No, interesting. I've done the. I've actually not not even prime people. I've done this exercise with Japanese people. It's amazing. I had this workshop with a big automotive Japanese company, right? And I said, draw your cakes. These Japanese people. Ah, Hitoshi-san. And then, like after 25 seconds, Hitoshi. You understand? They 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 immediately defaulted to collaboration because that was the culture of the company. It's called continuous improvement, Kaizen. The culture is when faced with a problem, you come together with people, you talk about it, and then you start to imagine possible outcomes and opportunities. Right? That's culture. So some cultures are very individualistic, very competitive, both at the national cultural level, but also at the corporate cultural level. Other cultures are by default collaborative. Come on, what else did I do? Say it a little bit louder. So it was my fault. <laughs> this is real. Of course I did. I said draw a cake and cut it four times and I saw all these little minions out there saying <laughs> Yes boss, you know, Dr. Ira, you just did what I told you to do and you didn't even think about it. You see, you didn't even aware of it, right? So the point about this is super important, right? Because think about you. What's your educational background? Has it primed you to lock into a particular way of thinking, right? Think about your experience. You know, and, and, and what's that been over the years? Now, I'm not saying it's about generational stuff, but the longer you've been in a particular job and the longer you've been doing things a particular way, the more resistant you are cognitively to change. Right? Reflect upon that. So all of this is good if the world doesn't change, but when it starts to change, you have an issue. And then finally, think about the environment, the culture that you find yourself in. You know, do you have people? Do you have people in your department? Do you have people in senior management who come to you and say, give me your ideas? I would really like to hold a brainstorming session with the team <laughs> to try to come up with, you know, yeah. You know what I was just saying? It's, it's interesting. Isn't it? Okay, right. Now, time pressure kills creativity. Yeah. Individualism kills creativity or the, the defaulting to the way we've done things in the past kills creativity. But there's something else here. So what I'd like everybody to do now is get prepared. Because I'm going to ask you to do another exercise. But there's no trick or anything. It's just a very basic, easy exercise that I've given to my children. <laughs> nah, there's no tricks here, right? All I'm going to ask you to do, so take a piece of paper and your pen. And all that I'm going to ask you to do is draw a picture. Now, what I'm going to ask you to do is use the full sheet of paper. You should not be just doing some little emoji in the top left corner. Full size. Right? Now, before I give you a few more instructions on how we do that, I would like you to buddy up with someone. So everybody needs a, a, a buddy, either behind them or next to them. Very quickly, everyone get a buddy. You can do it together. You can do it together. Grab your, get close to your, get your buddy. Do you have a buddy? You got a buddy? Alright, does anyone not have a buddy? Anyone not have a buddy? Can you two join up? Can, can you come on over? Good. 
Alright, now are you ready? Now what I would like you to do now, what I'd like you to do now is very simply, for 10 seconds, I'll say go, just to stare deeply into the eyes of this person without blinking. Are you ready? Your time starts now. Go, stare. Okay, stop, 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 stop. Okay, very good. So, so let me just tell you. So, do you know? Do you know? The research shows that the average married, you know, cohabitating couple, they make direct eye contact for only eight seconds each day. So you are now more intimate with this person. <laughs> all right. So, so you you should have a level of comfort now, right? All right. You're good. Good. All right. Okay. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do now. Take your pen, have your paper ready, and what you're going to do is you're going to take two minutes to draw in lifelike detail. No abstract and no photographs with a camera. You're going to draw with hand and paper and pen. You're going to draw the lifelike image of the front of that person's face. Let's go. Please start drawing. Keep drawing, folks. Please don't stop drawing. Please don't stop drawing. Good. Keep drawing, folks. I must be in the camera bring it back to Keep drawing, folks. Don't stop. Don't stop. You've got 10 seconds to go. And then what I would like you to do... Are you ready? 10 seconds to go. Almost done. Now, can you all please, once you're finished, show the person your picture. Let's go. Please show each other. Show the pictures. Have a look around. That's fantastic. That's good. That's beautiful. Wow. You don't know. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so have a look. Oh, now here's the question. Here's the question. So how did you feel? Like, how did you feel when I asked you to do that exercise? How did you feel in your gut? Scared. Anxious. I saw people looking at me like scared rabbits in the headlights. It's just a fun little exercise. Now here's the question. Seriously, I've given this, I've given this to very senior level people. 
and has paralyzed them with terror. The question is this, why? Why do you feel afraid? You don't want what? You don't want to draw. Why? Why don't you want to draw? Because you're really crap at it. Like, for example, I, like, I'm not going to embarrass anybody. Have a look at this picture. Have a look at that. Like, seriously. Seriously, if I went out there to the streets of Cape Town and said, how old was the person who drew this picture? What would they say? How old was the person? About seven years old. Don't you laugh? Look at, look at this one. Look at that. It's very funny. It's very funny. Oh, there's the thing. Now, the question is, why do most adults, and this is well researched, right? Why do most adults have the drawing age ability of a seven to nine year old? You stop doing it. Because that was the age you were told if you're going to be an actuary, that's not going to get you a good job. Do your maths homework. Right? It's true, right? So that's when we, we, we started to channel, that's when the education, you see? So that's normal. Okay? okay, but that's fine. We're not good at it, but still, why don't we just embrace that? Why don't we just say, well, that's cool. I'll have a go anyway. Most people are why, why else are you afraid? What are you afraid of? Judgment. The people are going to look at you and say, oh, that's a good one too. <laughs> you don't look like that. You're much more handsome than that, yeah? I mean, you got a bit of... But, uh, you, but you tried, eh? you, you really tried. But you see, so you're afraid that other people are going to say, you're not good at it. Yeah? Now this is, this is look, the, there are certain things as an actuary you have to know, right? There's fundamentals that you need to know. But in a world of change, when we're now starting to talk about digitalization, AI, there's stuff that you won't know. And the moment that big egos start walking in the room, projecting that they know everything, we've got a problem. Eh? So you actually have to have the courage to say, I don't know. Now what's the next thing you're going to say? I don't know, but I'm going to find out. I'm going to explore it. I'm going to learn about it. You have to embrace that. If it's a skill you need, you just need to become better at it, right? So put the ego aside and embrace learning instead, an openness to learning, right? That's another thing. Okay, what's the other reason? Because when you draw a picture, what's the other thing you're worried about? Particularly when you're, you're, you're doing it of another person. What are you afraid of? That you're going to insult them. And in some cases, for pretty good reason. <laughs> That's actually not... Seriously. But, seriously but, but, but what does that also tell you? See, what that is also about is the culture of the organisation. You see, if you say to someone, this is what I think, and you're afraid that that other person's going to hit you down and say you're stupid or you don't know or you're not good enough, what are you never going to do? You're never going to show what you do know. Right? So this again relates back to the ego topic. Right? So this is all super, super, super important. Come on, what's the other thing? What does the research show? The last TED talk I gave last year in the Netherlands was called the stand-up strategist. And what I talked about was the importance of humour in organisations. Because when you walk into two teams, if you walk into a team, the research is very clear on this. If you walk into a team where there is banter and openness and joking and fun, and then you walk into a team where there is fear and egos and hierarchy. Which of those two teams are better at coping with complexity? The first one. Because if you can joke with someone, you can be open with them. You can, you, if you can banter with people, 
then you can push each other a little bit in, in, a, in a constructive way, right? So having a laugh at work is super important when you're in complex, highly stressful situations. Right? Don't take it too seriously. Very important, okay? All right, there's something else here. We're almost done. Let's have a look at the next thing, which is super important. There are many ways to create inventions. My way is die under the water. Too much oxygen, that's very bad for brain. On the other hand, if shortage of oxygen, brain feels it, then brain maximum activities. 0.5 seconds before death. <laughs> I can suddenly create So this is Dr. Nakamatsu, Japanese, one of the most productive inventors of the last century. He's dead now. No, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> People say, did he drown? No, no, he's, he's still going, he's still going. No, no this is Dr. Nakamatsu. So what I'd like to do very quickly, just turn to the person next to you, tell them where are you and what are you doing when you get your best ideas. Just, just turn to the person next to you, tell them. Tell them. Mm -hmm. Can you, can you pass those along? Can you pass those back for me? Thank you. Pass those along a little bit. Can you, can you pass those along for me a little bit there? Can you pass those along, guys? Can you pass those along, guys? Can you, can you share some of that for me there? Yeah, 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 please, please, please. Up the back, up the back. Yeah, yeah, up the back, yep, yep. You share in your car? Got it. <laughs> they're, they're good Belgian chocolates. There you go, guys. Can you pass? Can you share those around? One more. There you go. Can you share those around, folks? Can you share those around? Good. Oh, sorry, sorry. Can you can you share those for me? Good. Good. All right, folks. Okay. So who, who would like to share? Who would like to share? So. What, what, so some people said it in the shower. Yeah. Now remember what we talked about time pressure. What happens? You become overstressed. Your body becomes over, it releases too much cortisol. Your frontal cortex shuts down. So to have your best ideas, slow down. Re relaxation is extremely important. Right? There's a wonderful article, actually Google, the healthy mind platter. And one of the elements, one of the ingredients, if you like, of a healthy mind is relaxation. Long showers, hot baths, massage, yoga, whatever you like, slow down. Reduces pressure on the frontal cortex, which also, by the way, is your imagination engine. Right? 
Right, so relaxation. Come on, what else do people talk about besides relaxation? Yeah, so walking, so, so being outdoors, sporting. There's a wonderful TED talk on, want to be more creative? Walk. Walk. Yeah? Because now this is also interesting because what you then engage in is what is called deep work. What is deep work? Deep cognition? Non-distracted thinking about a work problem in an undistracted state. You're just you and the dog. It's not the mobile phone ringing, the email coming in, people knocking on your door and walking into your office. You need undistracted, deep cognitive time, just to think in an undistracted state. Come on, what else, what else do people talk about? Yep. Yes, what kind of people? What kind of people? Boring, introverted, egotistical people? No, eh? inspiring people. People who are tolerant, who are open, who encourage you, who build on your ideas, who listen. Yeah, these are often friends, by the way, because you're, you feel safe with them. Right? So surround yourself with inspiring people because it's not about the lone intellect, right? It's about the collective. Great. Where else do we get these great ideas? Thank you. Talking to people. Now, this is again talking to open people who, don't, who really listen and often they, they speak much more than they listen. My mum, you, you probably can't tell, I'm a little bit of an extrovert. <laughs> <laughs> but my mum used to say to me, you know, the Lord gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. So you want to be creative, have friends who are good listeners. Yeah, there you go. Okay, good. All right, so come on now, think about this. What, what, why do I come to South Africa almost every year? What do I do when I come here? I cycle. Uh, now, I returned to competitive cycling, you know, 10 years ago. You know, and what started to happen? I have the best ideas on my bicycle. And I used to think this was because, like Dr. Nakamats, I'm giving myself time. No, actually, this is about neuroscience. Because the research shows that when you do aerobic exercise, right, of about, in, in about 20 minutes is enough, you start to trigger the release of neurotrophic brain compounds. And what is that? This, this compound strengthens the synapses in the brain. You also release dopamine. There is a wonderful talk. Well, I'll share these links with you, by the way, the article I mentioned. There's a wonderful talk by a guy called John Ratey, which is about the impact of sport on cognitive performance. Very clear research shows this. Eh? You think better after exercise. Now, the reason for that actually relates to evolutionary psychology. Before the bow and arrow was hunted, we were what were called persistence hunters. We would actually run prey to death. You run, but then, of course, an antelope is much faster than we are. You would lose sight of it. So you would have to stop. What do you now have to do? You stop. You think, eh? which way did it go? So the brain releases a rush of these neurotrophic brain compounds and dopamine, which dopamine is the neurotransmitter. Right? So when do you have great ideas? Riding your bike, in the gym. What day this morning? Six o'clock, I was on the gym bike because I was thinking about this session. What am I going to do? How am I going to structure it? How is it going to work? You know? So that's when you get your best ideas. Right? Who else sports in this room? Extremely important, eh? Yeah. Yeah, the best people in the office are not the ones who are working until 9 p.m. in the evening. It's the ones who leave to do sport. Right? Okay, anything else that people talked about? So, sport, exercise, you know, being with people who stimulate you, downtime. Sleep is extremely important, right? Because what does sleep do? Sleep is the dishwasher of the brain. During the waking hours, when you're really thinking you're building up waste proteins on the brain, it clogs up the synapses. Sleep 
clears out those waste proteins. The other thing, which is extremely good for you, is what is called a nappuccino. Six to seven hours after waking, you should take a nap. Sometime middle of the afternoon, try this at work. <laughs> but maybe under a tree, outside somewhere, okay? I do it regularly. What, why a nappuccino? You have a coffee before you take your nap. Because the nap should no, be no more than 15 to 20 minutes. What does that do? Clears waste proteins out of the brain without getting you into a deep sleep state which makes you groggy. 15 to 20 minutes. Why the cappuccino before? Why the coffee before? It takes 20 minutes for caffeine to kick in. So you clear the brain and then you wake up in an alert state. Middle of the afternoon, all right? Thank you. Sleep, super important, all right? Okay, there's one thing that we've forgotten and that is food. Because food is absolutely important. Why? Because dopamine requires a, a protein called L-dopa, which is produced by one chemical called tyrosine. And in which foods do you find tyrosine? Good Belgian chocolate, which I brought with me for all of you, all right? Chocolate, a little bit of chocolate. There's other foods that include tyrosine. Take a little bit, it will trigger the production of those amino acids in the stomach. What's very bad for those amino acids? Too much sugar and alcohol. Okay? There's healthy ways to produce amino acids or not. That's all there, okay? Now, there's one other thing, of course, which is this one. Another great way to boost dopamine is the old boom boom. Yeah? And preferably with somebody else. Alright, if anyone wants me to explain why, I'll tell you later, okay? Alright, okay, that's very important. So, so that's very important. Okay, now there's only one problem here, of course. What time of the day do most people do this? In the evening! It's a complete waste of good dopamine! You should actually be doing this around 10.30 in the morning! I'm just joking. Okay, very good. So here's, here's the summary, okay? Very simply. How do you bring your best self? Forward. How do you perform at your cognitive best? It's not rocket science. Eh? The first thing is think about the way you're thinking, and that means you need to slow down. You need to engage in this deep working of metacognition. The second thing you need to do is question stuff. Question your education, question your experience, and absolutely question that culture that you're in. Do we have the right culture? And then the third thing, of course, here is if you want to perform absolutely at your cognitive best, it doesn't all happen up here. Yeah? Agile thinking is a full body experience. So thank you very much for your time, and I wish you every success in being your best. Thank you.